Does anybody actually have a, a hard copy of the Bible? Wow, look at that. Wow. Now, now I'm not putting down phones, or I'm not putting down those, that dimension of, of uh, having a Bible. I'm glad you have your Bible, no matter how you have it. Uh, but if you have a Bible, or if you have your phone, uh, turn to Luke chapter 1 today. I want to read something to you. Three friends from the local congregation were asked, when you're in your casket and your friends and congregation members are mourning over you, what would you like them to say? Artie said, I would like them to say, I was a wonderful husband, a fine spiritual leader, and a great family man. Eugene commented, I would like them to say I was a wonderful teacher and servant of God who made a huge difference in people's lives. Al said, I'd like them to say, look, he's moving. I like that more than you guys. <laughs> Man, we have headed into the Christmas season. It's a time when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the, the incarnation. What an, an amazing thing. God became a man. Jesus came to restore us back into a relationship with the Father, to take away our orphanhood. Is that a word? To, to take away our disconnect from our Heavenly Father and bring us back into relationship with the God who created us. He laid down his life to redeem us. I want to talk about the word of God today. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus. But this is also the word of God. And this is also alive and powerful. My prayer today is that we walk away from our time together with a greater appreciation for Jesus and who he is and what he came to do, and also a greater understanding of this book. This is not just some book. Many times I've found myself, myself, me and my... What do they call that when you have more than one person? Yeah, well, I, I was thinking of, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, multiple personalities. Anyway, I found myself in goodwill in the book section. I, I guess I'm attracted to books. I like books. And, and I, I'll, I'll be looking through there, and there's all these books about all these different subjects. But then there'll be a Bible. And I have to be honest with you. It doesn't matter how old it is or how new it is or even what translation it is. Something inside of me just kind of jumps because I recognize that this is a book like no other. It, there's no other book like this. This is a revelation from the God who created us. It is a, the, a book that reveals to us God and his great salvation. And it tells us about the kingdom of God and how it operates in this book. Are, is, are the words of life are in here. And see, if you value somebody, you value what they say. If you value God, you value what he says. And just want to, to, to expose yourself to it and, and just to abide in it. Just experience it. You know, the enemy has done everything he possibly could to try to destroy this book. There have been huge campaigns raised against the Bible. And obviously, he's unsuccessful. It's still the number one bestseller in the world. But because of his lack of success in destroying this book, now he's trying to do everything he can to devalue the Bible. I mean, haven't you heard? This is hate speech. 
And yet, herein lies the words of life. I was recently with a man, in, a man I respect, and he was telling me that the Bible is filled with contradictions. And, you know, I, I, I just said, well, that's interesting. Can you, can you share one with me? And he, he couldn't off the top of his head. See, somebody just heard somebody else say something about the Bible and they bought into it. But in truth, herein lies the words of life. I recently saw a post on Facebook where somebody said the Bible has been rewritten over and over again. Depending on what people believed at the time, it was written to adapt to the times. And that is absolutely ridiculous. In fact, I've got a video I want to show you. It's a three-minute video. And it's, it's somebody that's talking about the integrity of the New Testament. Now, I have to be honest. The video part of this is, is terrible because it, it's, it's going to stretch out on the, on the screen and it's going to look weird. But I want to encourage you, if you have to, just close your eyes. <laughs> And listen to this. Go ahead, James. Can I explain to you what they would have had to do? Three levels of conspiracy. Level number one, they would have had to have a manuscript conspiracy. I guess we're, when we're talking about just the New Testament yeah. itself. There are over 6,000 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts for the New Testament itself. Now, that may not sound like a lot to you, but can I compare it to a couple of things? Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars. That's how we know about Julius Caesar and his conquest. We have around 10 manuscripts. Aristotle's Poetics, we have nearly five manuscripts. When it comes to the writings of Herodotus, we have less than 10 manuscripts. When it comes to the writings of Homer, less than 10 of each of his writings. When it comes to the New Testament, we have 6,000 manuscripts or portions of manuscripts for the New Testament. Folks, that's not even close. Well, you don't have the originals. No, we really don't. But guess what? We can get earlier than AD 120 with some of the copies that we have. When it comes to Julius Caesar's Gallic Wars, the earliest thing we could put our hands on was written 900 years after the original. But nobody's tearing down the walls in college because they're reading Caesar. When it comes to Aristotle, the earliest thing we can put our hands on was written 1400 years after the original. But when it comes to the New Testament, we can put our hands on documents that were written within decades of the originals. So if these overzealous monks wanted to doctor the Bible, what they would have to do is find over 6,000 manuscripts, change all of them, not show their ink work, get them all back where they stole them from, and never tell anybody what they did. That's just level number one. Here's level number two. Jesus said, go and make disciples of ta ethne, every people group. Funny thing about people groups, they tend to speak different languages. So within the first few centuries, we have the Bible translated into Syriac, Coptic, and Latin. So now these overzealous monks have to find 6,000 Greek manuscripts, change those, doctor them up, don't show your ink work, get them back. Go find all the Syriac, Coptic, and Latin translations of those Greek manuscripts, change those to match the lies that you told in another language, and get those back where you stole them from. And that's just level number two. Now you got level number three. The early church fathers had this terrible habit of writing commentary on the New Testament. So much so that Bruce Metzger argues, if all we had of the New Testament was the quotations and citations by the early church fathers, we could reproduce over 95% of the New Testament just from their writings. So now these overzealous monks have to find 6,000 manuscripts and portions of manuscripts, steal them, change them, don't show your ink work, get it back without anybody finding out. They got to find Syriac, Coptic, and Latin translations, change those to match the lies that they told in the 6,000 manuscripts, get those back where they stole them from, and then find all of the writings of all of the early church fathers, change those to match the lies that they told two layers ago, get those put back, never tell anybody what they did, and never ever get caught. Help you if you believe that.
Why don't I turn it on? Okay, sure, sure. <laughs> so how much time do I have? Wow. <laughs> Please don't let school out because I might have to do homework. I, I want to talk about something today concerning the Word of God that I know I didn't really understand most of my Christian life. In Luke chapter 1 is the story of Gabriel appearing to Mary. When, when Mary's aunt Elizabeth was pregnant about six months with John the Baptist, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Nazareth in Galilee. Now we know that Mary was a virgin. We know that she was engaged to a man named Joseph. And this, this angel Gabriel said to Mary in this encounter, he said, rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But, you know, she had probably not had an angelic encounter before in her life. It, it took her back. In fact, she was troubled by it. Then Gabriel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. But Mary didn't fully understand how this could be. But see, that's okay not to understand everything God says to you. We don't have to be able to wrap our mind around it. But Mary said to the angel, how can this be? since I've never been with a man. Now, I don't know about you, but I think that's a valid and legitimate question. Gabriel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, I'm certain after that second explanation that she didn't fully grasp it, everything that was happening, but that's okay. Then Gabriel said, Elizabeth, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. This is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And then he said this well-known phrase, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Porque nada hay imposible para Dios. Reina Valera, 1960. For, the, for, God, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Now, this, this is the key verse this morning, okay? This is what we're going to focus on. One of the fundamental parts of the gospel is, is, is the realization that God requires the impossible from us on purpose. He commands me to do things that are impossible for me to do. He says, heal the sick, raise the dead. Well, well I can't do that of myself. He commands me to do the impossible so that in receiving his word, he enables me to do what he has required me to do. Receiving the word, the enablement is in the word. The empowering is in the word. The law requires, but grace enables. Grace empowers. There is a grace enabling power that comes with his word. When we receive his word, it's like we receive a seed into the soil of our heart 
and, and if, if watered in the, in the presence of God in the Holy Spirit, that seed will germinate and begin to bring forth something that before was not even possible, but all of a sudden, because of God's intervention, what was impossible becomes possible. Now, this story that we are reading in Luke 1 is an example of that. When Gabriel appeared to Mary and he told her she was going to bear the Christ child, this is one of the things that Gabriel said to her. For with God, nothing will be impossible. How many have ever heard that verse before? I was going to say, if you haven't, you haven't been to church. You know, this is one of the first verses that I memorized as, as a young Christian. For with God, nothing will be impossible. It's a verse that is quoted often in Christian circles. But as I often do, and you may do this too, but when I'm meditating on a verse of scripture, I like to look at it in the Greek just to see if there's a, an insight or a thought that might come out of that. And I discovered a problem with this translation. In the Greek, there is the word rhema in it. The word rhema is translated everywhere else in the New Testament as the word word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God. The word rhema is translated word. It, it means the, the spoken, the freshly spoken word of God, but the word word is not in most translations of this verse. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Where is the word word in this verse? Donde esta la palabra, palabra en este versículo? For nothing will be impossible with God. Or, or for with God, nothing will be impossible. That's how it's usually translated. So I'm, I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to start looking at my Spanish Bibles. And, and maybe it's in the Spanish version. And so the Reina Valera says, Porque nada hay imposible para Dios. ¿Dónde está la palabra? Palabra. Porque para Dios no hay nada imposible. Porque ninguna cosa será imposible para Dios. I'm trying to give you a rest, Cheryl. Nada es imposible para Dios. ¿Dónde está la palabra? Palabra. En este versículo. In English, Luke 137, for with God nothing will be impossible. Why isn't the word word in the translation? The word nothing is the key to understanding this verse. It's actually two words. Just like no thing is actually two words, we make it into one. But in the verse, no is, is a Greek word that means no. And the word that's translated thing is the Greek word rhema. This changes everything. A more exact translation would be no word from God will be impossible. Nothing that God says is impossible. The minute God says it, it becomes possible. Because there is something released into God's word when he speaks it. The most accurate translation of this verse from the Greek is the American Standard Version. It reads like this. For no word from God shall be void of power. Porque ninguna palabra de Dios estará desprovista de poder. Mary had just received a word from God that she didn't know how it was going to happen. She's wondering how it could come to pass. It's impossible. I've never known a man. Gabriel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you, and the Holy One will be born in you, will be the Son of God. Then he said, no word from God will be impossible. No rhema from God is impossible. 
Ninguna palabra de Dios será imposible. So Mary's response was absolutely perfect. If you ever want to know how to respond to a word from God, she modeled it perfectly. So here it is, verse 38. Then Mary said, go ahead and pop that up, James, verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now the reason that Gabriel left is it was done. The word had been spoken, that's the first part. The second part was Mary had received it. I don't think Gabriel would have left until Mary received the word. Be it unto me according to your word. She bowed before the authority of God's word. Hágase conmigo conforme a tu palabra. She didn't go and try to make it happen by getting married real quick and, and Joseph, we got to try to have a kid real quick. She understood what the angel said. She did not hear this. She did not hear this. Nothing is impossible with God. That's not what she heard. She heard him say, no word from God will be impossible. Let me take the negatives out of that statement. Every word that comes from God is possible. This verse of scripture illustrates a part of the gospel that is so critical for us that if we don't get it, we can flounder through life. Because this verse puts the emphasis on our heart to anchor ourselves into the word of God. What is God saying? What is God speaking? Here's the point I'm trying to make. The scripture says, no word from God will be impossible. You know, another translation that, that did it much more accurately is the NIV. Raleigh, can you believe that? The NIV. For no word from God will ever fail. No freshly spoken word of God will be impossible. The word impossible, actually, it, it's a... It, Uh-oh. Sorry. Dave Hufford. Quit texting the pastor during preaching. He's probably sending me a translation of the verse. Yeah, the Amplified even says no word from God. So does the Passion. The word that's translated impossible there, it actually means without ability. Ninguna palabra de Dios está sin, sin habilidad. So, so let me tell you what I believe is being said here. It's in your notes. No freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain in itself the ability to perform itself. The word of God contains the power to fulfill itself. When God speaks, things happen. When, when God speaks, something is released into that word. Now, let me, let me show you that because that's exactly what God was trying to illustrate to us in Isaiah 55, verse 11. He says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. The word itself will accomplish God's pleasure. It will prosper or be successful in the thing for which he sent it to do. The word itself contains the power to fulfill itself. Now, if that's true, and it is, it changes everything. It's not me trying to bring the word to pass or even waiting for the God of heaven to come 
and make the word come to pass. Because the word itself has the power to fulfill itself. If I, will, if I will receive it, if I will embrace it, be it unto me according to your word. All I need to do is receive it, to bow before it. I want to say something, and then I'll try to explain it. Healing is more about surrender than it is about fighting. Now, there is a fight of faith. We are to fight the good fight of faith. There is a time to stand our ground. But healing is more about surrendering to the authority of his word, bowing in our hearts before him. He will bring it to pass. It's not up to me to make it happen. It wasn't about Mary going and trying to make it happen. She just said, be it unto me according to your word. It was almost like she presented herself to the Lord, like offering herself as a living sacrifice. She said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. I present myself to you, God. And she said, be it unto me according to your word. So here's a truth that, that I have come to grips with. God wants me healed more than I do. I'm not working hard trying to get healed. Oh, please, God, please heal me. No, he wants me healed. Jesus paid a price for my healing, so much so that in the New Testament, it's put in the past tense. When it was prophesied 600 years before Christ, it was in the present tense. By his stripes, you are healed. But when we get into the New Testament, when Peter's quoting that verse of Scripture, he says, by whose stripes you were healed. Now, I must surrender to the authority of his word. It contains the power to heal me. When God speaks, kingdom things are released. When I receive what he says, they are released into my life. Psalm 107, verse 20. He sent his word. He sent his word. He sent his word and healed them and delivered them. From their destructions. How did he heal them? He sent his word. He spoke. No word from God is without the power to fulfill itself. Are you getting this? Isaiah 55. I, we read, read verse 11. I want to go back a little bit farther. Now, I know that we've talked about this passage many, many times through the years. But this passage is so revelatory. God is stating some realities, some things that, that I want to understand. I want to understand how the kingdom of God operates. How many here want to understand how the kingdom works? Three of you. I'm just going to release the rest of you. No. Versículo 8. Verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So, so God is saying, you don't think like I think. My thoughts are way higher than your thoughts. Your ways are, are not like my ways. My ways are, are way higher than your ways. Now, thank God, he doesn't stop there and say, so, too bad. I'm way up here, you're way down there. No, he tells us what the answer is. He tells us how to have his thoughts and how to know his ways. Verse 10, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but wander the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. 
it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So in a nutshell, he is saying, you don't think like I do. You don't know my ways, but here's my word. So that you can know my thoughts and you can know my ways. Here's my word so that you can begin to think my thoughts and you can begin to walk in my ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So here's my word. Come up here and think with me. Think like I do. Here's my word so you can know and walk in my ways. But, but he says it this way. I, I love this. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and water the earth, they, they come down and they cause the earth to, to bud and to bring forth. So shall my word be that goes out of my mouth as you receive it like the earth receives the rain and the snow, as you embrace it with your heart, it will cause you to bud and to bring forth. It will bring fruitfulness to your life as you think my thoughts and begin to walk in my ways. I, this makes me excited. He has given us his word so that we may have seed. There may be seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So my word will be, become to you both seed to sow for harvest and bread to eat that will satisfy your soul. Did you know that you can sow the word of God? You can sow it into people's lives. Some of the most impactful times as a young Christian, when I, I'm, I'm trying to talk to somebody about the Lord, was just to share a verse. I remember being in the walk-in cooler back where you, you, know, you stock the beer, you stock the milk, you stock the pop, all this stuff. I'm back there with a, a guy who's a Coke driver, and, and I just said, you know, something amazing has happened to me. And it's really not religion. It's about Jesus. And I shared with him the verse of scripture that's out on the front of our church now. And I said, do you know what Jesus said? He said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <laughs> have you ever felt like, Sandy, have you ever felt like you're just laboring through life and you're weighed down with all this stuff? Then, then this invitation is for you to just come to him. And he will give you rest. And I found that, that just sowing a scripture into people's lives. I was working in the grocery store in the Eastgate Cleaners, and I was facing shells with a, with a box boiler. Do you know what facing shells means? It means pulling everything forward so it looks full, looks good, everything's easy to grab. And we're just going along there, and I, I shared a scripture with him. I can't remember which scripture it was. I shared a scripture with him. Do you know what happened? He went home, read his Bible, and got saved, and came back to work. Because there's, there's something about the, the seed of God's word. You can sow it in your children. You can sow it in your grandchildren. But this is interesting. You can also sow it into your own heart. Your own heart. I believe that's what the, the, the writer of Proverbs is talking about in Proverbs 4.23 when he says, Keep your heart, guard, protect your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. The New Living Translation says, Guard your heart above all else, above everything else, for it determines the course of your life. Because we know all kingdom issues are heart issues. It's about the heart. We are stewards of this garden. That garden is our own heart. Your heart is like precious, precious soil that has the power to grow things. Do you know what the problem with good soil is? 
How many here have ever had a garden in your backyard? So do you know what the problem with good soil is? Yeah, it's not picky or choosy. It will grow weeds as well as well as, well as it will grow carrots and tomatoes. It will grow whatever seeds end up in it. So he says, guard your heart above all else, just like if you had a, a garden in your backyard, you would try to keep the, the weeds and the wrong things from growing there. You, you just want the peas and the carrots and the, the things that you planted. You would, you would guard your garden and pull any weeds that you saw growing because you want a healthy crop. Well, this garden, this garden is way more important than some garden in your yard. Out of, the, of your heart flows the issues of life. It determines the direction that your life goes in. Now I want to re read verse 11 one more time, Isaiah 55. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. My word will not return to me empty. It will accomplish what I please. It will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. My word has the, the power to accomplish what I send it to do. It will not return to me empty. Now, here, here's the million dollar question. How does God's word return to him? We know that it won't return to him without accomplishing what he, he promised it to do. But how does God's word return to him? Through the mouth of the believer. In the form of a prayer. Father, I thank you that you are my healer. I thank you that by the stripes of Jesus... I am healed. I thank you that, that you forgive all of my iniquities and you heal all of my diseases in the form of a prayer or in the form of a declaration. I declare that my God is supplying all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I have become the righteousness of God in him. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross and taking my sin that I could have your righteousness. What I'm saying making sense? When I pray or when I decree God's word, when I on earth agree with God in heaven, when I come into agreement with him, when I pray it, and when I declare it, it will not return to him void, but it will accomplish the thing for which he sent it to do. God doesn't speak just to hear himself talk. He has a purpose in everything he says. Every word he speaks has the power to accomplish what he desires. That's what Hebrews 4.12 is talking about when it says the word of God is alive or living and powerful. The word powerful means full of power. The word of God is full of power. Full of power to accomplish what he sent it to do. It's released when we receive his word. Be it unto me according to your word. When we come into agreement with, with him. When it gets in our hearts and we pray it, we declare it. Now, we're just about done, okay? So don't worry. I, I just have two more verses of scripture to share with you. Dos mas versículos. Uh, Juan, capítulo 8, Juan, chapter 8. Jesus defines what a true disciple looks like. But also, he tells us what the fruit of abiding in his word does. Verse 31, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. He's talking to the, the Jewish people that had become began to embrace him as their Messiah. Now, now, now that you believe in me, here's what's next. He says, if you abide in my word, 
You are my disciples indeed. This is what becoming my disciple looks like. If you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed. See, it has to do with a a relationship with his word. It's about having an intimate relationship with the word of God. And out of that intimacy, things begin to be birthed in our lives. If you abide in my word, the, the word abide, of course, it's a verb. It means to stay in a given place or state or relation. But it even carries the thought of to stay in a place of expectancy. If you you stay in my word, if you will remain in my word, if you will continue in my word, the byproduct or the fruit of that is this. And this is so powerful. Verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You know, that's a verse that's quoted all the time in so many different situations, some having nothing to do with God at all. And yet Jesus, the context of saying you will know the truth, the context of that is abiding in his word. Yeah, Jesus is my Lord, and what he says is important, and so I I spend time in it. I'm getting it in my heart. I'm getting it in my life. I'm living according to what he says, what he's declared. And as I have that kind of a relationship with him and his word, all of a sudden, there's a liberating force that breaks into my life that sets me free from the lies of the enemy, that sets me free from the tyranny of an enemy. That intimacy with truth becomes this liberating force in my life. And and amazingly, what happens is I begin to step into my true identity as a child of God, as a son, as a daughter of God. I step into who I am. Because the lies of the enemy are gradually being broken off of my life and I begin to step into who he has called me to be. Worship team, please come. Jesus said, the truth shall make you free. The word free here means to liberate, but this word carries this meaning with it also. To go from the place of a slave into the place of a son. In other words, what this truth will do in your life. Could we do that third song? Mm -hmm. You're going to stop living like a slave. Why? Because you're going to stop thinking like a slave. And you're going to start living like a son of God. And you're going to start thinking like a son of God when you begin to step into who you are, who God created you to be. You're being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. He is transforming you. Could we stand? Is there anybody here that has a headache? A headache? Headache. <laughs> Nobody? Right here. Okay, awesome. Could I pray for you? Can you come up? How long have you had a headache? Both of you? Just this morning? Okay. Does it hurt right now? Would you like it not to hurt? Stretch out your hands towards him. Father, we just thank you for your healing power in Jesus' name. Lord, I just release your healing touch into both of them. I command the headache pain to go. I command everything contrary to health to leave right now in Jesus' name. I release the peace of God in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, tell me, if does it feel any different to you? Not yet. Okay, so yours feels better. How much better? If, if, if 10 was where you're at, what would you put it at? 
Okay, so it's gone way down. So you're going to help me pray for her, okay? Father, we thank you for your healing touch. Lord, I just command all tension. Father, I command any, anything that she's carrying that she doesn't have to carry it. Lord, I pray for the grace to roll it off of her and onto you, to fall back in your arms, Jesus, and to just rest in you. Command all tension, all pain to go right now. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Thank you for your healing touch, God. In Jesus' name. Okay, now there's no wrong answer. Tell me, tell me how that feels. It definitely feels better. Okay. If, if it was the 10 before, where's it at now? Five. Okay. One more time, okay? Father, I just thank you for your healing touch in Jesus' name. Command all pain to go in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want you to do something for me. You're going to be part of the healing team and I want you to to go in the room where Cheryl is translating into Spanish do you know who Cheryl is would you just go in and pray for her pray for her body to be healed just pay for pain to go I send you in Jesus name thank you thank you God thank you Lord Father, we just acknowledge your presence. We just acknowledge your goodness. Lord, help us to understand afresh that when you speak, God, that there's power in what you say. There's power in your word. Lord, we just want to cooperate with you. Holy Spirit, we just want to understand how to, how to do kingdom things more effectively, Lord. Give us understanding in Jesus' name. Now, I'm going to invite you to pray with me. But, but I, I feel like I want to take a minute for this. If, if, if there's anybody here and you don't know Jesus, you don't know the one who said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. I want to give you an opportunity to meet him. It's a simple thing. It's, it's realizing that, yeah, we're all sinners. We, we are all, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The only way we can stand before God is because of Jesus. And he, him dying in our place, paying the price for our sin. So if that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I want to know you. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Take charge of my life. Jesus, I embrace you as my Savior and as my leader. Come and enable me to live for the Father. Holy Spirit, come into my life. Fill me afresh with you in Jesus' name. And I want to invite all of you to pray, finish praying this with me. Father, you instruct me to guard my heart with all diligence. I pray for a crop failure of all the wrong seeds that I've allowed to be sown in my heart. I receive your word. Be it unto me according to your word. In Jesus' name. Let your word work in me. Amen. Let's worship. Thank you, Jesus. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Unto us a child.
It's a great time of year to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate God's goodness. I want to invite prayer teams to come up and be available to pray with people this morning. The benediction I want to give you is out of Romans chapter 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you, saints. Have a great week. If you need prayer for anything, please take advantage of that this morning. God bless you.